Welcome to Building Your Wealth Muscle, a podcast about building and protecting wealth for online health and fitness coaches. Each episode, we're going to break down different topics in the areas of business, finance, and tax, and how they pertain to your coaching business. Disclaimer. The topics covered in this podcast are for educational purposes only. This is not advice for your specific situation. Please consult a qualified financial or tax professional before making changes to your financial or tax situation. Now, here's your host, certified financial planner, Pat Darby. So on the first episode, we will interview Marcy Nevin, who actually we... You and I had met, I think, in 2017 when I had actually reached out. What I can vaguely remember because Instagram wiped it out. I'd asked you about how much fat you should eat in a given day. And I don't know if you remember this. You were like, you said that you need to have at least 20 to 25%, I think. Otherwise, you're unhealthy, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> I didn't say you were unhealthy, but I said. <laughs> no, it's unhealthy to have that yes, little, that. to have less than that, I think, is what don't you Don't put say. words in my mouth, Pat. <laughs> Uh, yes, no, that is correct. I, I do remember that. And it's interesting because you sent me a DM through your business account, probably not a year ago, but I would say last summer, because I remember where I was when I got your DM. I had recorded an Instagram story about the difference between physical fatigue and mental fatigue. And that sometimes, or excuse me, physical and mental hunger. And then a lot of times people mistake physical hunger with mental hunger. So it was like, go outside, go for a walk, get some fresh air, move your body. You'll likely realize that you're really not hungry. And you responded to that message. And I was out walking on the trail and you and I started going back and forth. And it wasn't for, I would say a week or two that you told me, maybe not a week or two, maybe like a week, I would say that you told me, oh yeah, you know, you helped me a couple of years ago. And I felt so bad because I didn't remember who you were. And then you said, oh no, here's my other account. And I couldn't forget that Halloween costume that you were wearing (laughs) in that profile picture. It's like, oh yes, I remember him. So yeah. Yeah, that that was the very beginning. You were paramount on me getting my first ever six pack. Like I, for the longest time, now I feel like it's quite stupid, but at the time I was doing uh, low carbs uh-huh. and then every night cause I was hungry, I would have like at least two, maybe three like spoonfuls of peanut butter thinking like, okay. oh, I'm good because this is like low carbs, <laughs> not knowing I'm having like a 600 calorie snack before bed. So you, you never I told me this. I had no idea. Yeah, it was that advice. And another influencer was said, um, the difference between measuring your food pre-cooked versus post-cooked. I don't remember if that was you maybe as well, but that was like another big game changer because I always weighed my food post-cooked mm-hmm. and then used the calories for raw. And so yep. it makes a difference. It's ironic that you're bringing this up because the post that I'm working on right now, which I've, I've shared this post probably three times, but I'm, trying to make it into a swipe post instead of an infographic because swipe posts are the thing right now. Um, It's macro tracking mistakes that you might be making. And that is one of them is cooking, cooking raw and weighing logged or vice versa. But yeah, cooking or weighing after cooking can be very inaccurate because 
I'll use an example for the listeners out there who care. <laughs> um, chicken breast, right? So somebody may really overcook their chicken breast, but let's say you had two two chicken breasts that were six ounces raw, and then one person cooks it, just you know, dries the hell out of it, and it ends up being three ounces. But the other person, you know, cooks it so it's like very juicy, and it ends up being four ounces. Well. Now there's going to be a discrepancy, obviously. Yeah. And I was doing it with a lot of red meat and I like things burnt. So Mm -hmm. that was probably adding almost like 150 or 200 calories because again, like I'll dry out my steaks, like, cause I use the forming grill. So like they come off (laughs) a lot of juice disappears. So I thought I was eating like three or four ounces and it's probably like eight ounces. So that was exactly for me. So I always say way raw if possible. I know it's not realistic for everybody. You know, for someone like me who works from home and I can cook my meals as my go- as I go and I also do not like to meal prep, it works. But for other people, it's like, just do the best you can, you know? No, that makes sense. I mean, but but that's how we met each other. So that was that was pretty cool and very helpful that's for my it. first ever six pack. And, and four wow. years later, here we are. Who would have thought? That's true. I wouldn't have, back then I would not thought I would uh, have a podcast. But. The podcast. <laughs> I feel like I was, I feel like I was, I don't know if I'm going to say that I inspired this, but you and I definitely talked about you starting a podcast and I encouraged you for sure. Yeah, no, you did. You were one of the few people I knew that was actually doing a podcast like that. I talked to on the regular. Mm-hmm. So I right. appreciate it. And now you're, you're going to love guest. Yeah, absolutely. Ah, so honored. So the podcast is, you know, as we talked about it before, the one thing that I notice about your industry is a lot of there's a lot of focus and support on like marketing efforts and growing revenue, growing sales. Um, one of the things that I feel like is lacking in the industry, and this is what the podcast will focus on, is the revenue turning into profit and then turning that profit into both investing in the value of the business as well as investing outside of the business. So. Those are things that will, we'll, for listeners, that will try to take away at least one action step from what Marcy's doing in her business. Um, so tell mm-hmm. us a little bit of background. Um, what led you to launch your business, your fitness business? Yeah. So, I mean, if we're going way back, when I was in college, I was a journalism major thinking that I wanted to write for one of the big fitness magazines. Because that was back in 2002, 2006. So magazines like Oxygen, Muscle and Fitness, T Nation, they were very popular. Like blogs were not a thing. Facebook was not yet a thing. You know, Instagram clearly was not a thing. So you were getting your information. I mean, there were websites, but mostly you were still getting your information through magazines. So that was what I wanted to do for a career. And then as I was going through the program, I realized, eh, no, this is not not for me. I don't want to sit behind a desk. I don't want to be on a deadline working for somebody else. I don't want to have to move to New York or LA, you know, all of that. So I just decided, okay, I'm going to finish out the program. And then I wanted to go into outside sales. So while I was going to school, I mean, even in high school, I had become, I got really into fitness and That's obviously why I wanted to write for a fitness magazine, but I decided that I would get my personal training certification. So while I was in college, I got certified. I started working at a 24 hour fitness, which 
I didn't realize at the time is completely a sales job. I had no idea. It wasn't until I actually got into sales that it was like, oh, that's what I was doing back then when I had no idea how to sell, right? Which is why I didn't really sell anything. <laughs> so I became a trainer uh, and I kind of thought like, oh, this will be a good job while I'm in college or maybe if I'm ever in between jobs, if I have kids one day and I don't want to work. So that was the goal. Graduated, went into outside sales for a couple of years, hated it, was terrible at it, got fired from my wow. second job. And I was like, well, I don't really know what I'm gonna do. Oh yeah, that's embarrassing, but it, it was for the best. So I decided, I guess I'm gonna have to go be a trainer for a little bit until I figure out what my next step is going to be because I didn't really know at that time. So I started training thinking it was just gonna be temporary and 12 years later, here I am. So I never liked it, Pat. I really, training was not my thing. Like I had a passion for fitness. I enjoyed helping other people, but I did not like being on the gym floor early mornings. I mean, in the beginning, I was waking up at four, when training people at 4.45 and then coming back to be there at night, on the weekends, holidays, so it was just a grind. I wasn't making that good of money. Um, and about five years ago is when the online space started to become popular and pick up. And I started posting on Instagram, just you know my workouts, my food, things like that. Not really with the intention of starting an online business, but the more I saw other people getting into the online industry and actually making money doing coaching, I was like, oh, this is a thing. And my best friend, um, her name is Sohee Lee. She has a very successful online business. She kind of got ahead of it. So she created a blog. She started coaching while she was actually at Stanford and I became her assistant. So that kind of like got me into seeing like how you actually do online coaching and all that. So I started to try and play with it myself. I wasn't really getting anywhere. So then. I got a mentor, joined a mastermind, and yeah, that's when things really started to, I shouldn't say really started to pick up, but like when I became more knowledgeable about how to run an online business, but on the side, I was still doing the in-person thing because I hadn't made the online business sustainable. And my goal though was to go full time online, but I was just a little bit too scared to make the leap. And then last year, COVID happened, my gym closed overnight, and I was basically forced to make it work. So here we are, fully online, loving it, so glad that, I mean, it's a blessing in disguise, it really is. So even though I lost, I would say 60% of my revenue, no, I'm much happier. So that's the, that's the backstory. You went officially online? Your first year, like 100% online, was 2020? Yes. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, before that, I was doing, I was still training people six days a week, probably like 20, 25 hours a week, but that was 20 to 25 hours too much. <laughs> so. And you help your clients, if I'm mistaken, with everything. It's not just, it's not just workouts, it's also nutrition. It's nutrition, it's training or workouts, it's you know overall movement, it's mindsets, it's lifestyle. Yeah, it's because everything is connected. So yes, the workouts and the nutrition are an important part of getting the results. If you're not doing that, you're not going to make progress. You're not going to reach your goals. But 
if your lifestyle is a mess, if you don't have a proper mindset, if you don't believe that you can actually achieve what you want, then you're going to self-sabotage. The habits aren't going to stick. And that's what keeps people in this vicious cycle, just spinning their wheels. So, I mean, I, I hate to say this, but I was talking to one of my friends about it earlier. We were discussing content and like my page. And I was telling her, you know, I was on this fast track of growth for a while because I was one of the first people to start doing the infographics and back in 2017, which is probably, you know, how you came across me. Right. And looking back, God, my infographics were horrible back then, but it, you know, it built my, it built my following very rapidly. And now, you know, the algorithm has changed kind of what people are doing has changed. So my following has definitely slowed down in terms of growth. So when I was having this conversation with my friend, she was like, you know, I really think you need to get back to talking more about just like the fat loss content, the kind of nuts and bolts. That's what people want. Like your mindset content is great. It's really important, but I don't think that's what's really going to attract people to you. You know, they just want to know how can I lose these next 10 to 20 pounds as fast as possible? Not like, what is the mindset behind it? And so the saying is like, sell people what they need, give them, no, excuse me, sell people what they want, give them what they need. So it could be a little bit of a bait and switch, you know, where it's like, oh yeah, we'll work on your fat loss goals. But when you start working with me, we're going to really dig into the mindset stuff. And that's where the magic happens. They want to lose the 20 pounds. Then you can teach them how to keep it off. But right. with, with the mindset transformation. But yeah, they're probably like, I need to look good. Today. Yeah, but if they don't have the mindset to begin with, then good luck actually... <laughs> implementing the habits consistently enough or for long enough to make yeah. them stick. Yeah, that's true. So do you have a target audience that you specifically do your best work for? Yeah, and it's so interesting because you and I were talking before we recorded about that, like, I help statements, you know, <laughs> trying to condense it. And it's, it's hard to do. So Right now, I think mine is I help overwhelmed women uh, get results that last without extremes or restriction. So fat loss is definitely my demographic. Women who want to lose fat is my demographic. And I like to focus on the ones who are kind of the former version of me, which is over-exercising, under-eating, uh, just running themselves into the ground, trying you know every single thing to get the results, but nothing is sticking. So allowing them, giving them the permission really to slow down, do something that is more sustainable, less restrictive, um, you know, not killing themselves in the gym, but just focusing more on weight training, on walking and, you know, sleep, stress management, all those things that no one really wants to talk about, but are the cornerstone for a healthy lifestyle. And again, really making that progress that is going to be sustainable long-term. Makes sense. Now, one of the things that, I know, I think we talked about this briefly before, um, but I talk about it with clients. I think one of my posts that did fairly well um, was saying like building a bridge to nowhere. So like most business owners, you kind of have two choices. You can, <laughs> you can have a lifestyle business where you make a ton of revenue, ton of profit, and you just pull it all out of the business. And then others are building something they want to um, grow, scale, sell, 
Um, so tell us about your long-term vision and eventual exit from your business if that you have mm-hmm. planned. Oh gosh, I mean, I haven't really thought about an exit from my business. I'm only 37, you know, so I could be doing this for a long time. But I mean, eventually, you know, of course, the goal would be to, yeah, retire, not have to work until the day I die. Um, and long-term vision at this point, and I know that it's going to ebb and flow. So right now, I'm focusing primarily on one-on-one coaching which these days in the industry is, I don't want to say taboo, but it's almost like unheard of for someone to just be a one-on-one coach because there are all these other shiny objects that people will jump to. So, oh, now I'm doing group programs. Now I'm doing a mastermind. Now I'm launching a course. And, you know, I've thought about doing all of that, but I know that I get overwhelmed really easily. I also feel like my wheelhouse where I really thrive the best is with one-on-one clients. Uh, and that's what I enjoy the most. So not to say that I will never do anything like that down the road, but I think what I want to continue to focus on is the one-on-one coaching, but not having me be the only person in the business. So start hiring other coaches under me who fit with my brand and my message, who I trust to, to work with clients so that we can start helping more people in a one-on-one capacity, because people will say, oh, one-on-one coaching isn't scalable, or you can only help so many people, and that's what I felt like being in the gym. You know, I can only work with, I don't know, a certain amount of people every week, so that was limited, which is why I wanted to go online, one of the reasons, aside from freedom. (laughs) Um, But, and yes, like you can target more people with a a, a course or a group program, But the way I think about it is if I have myself and 10 other coaches under me, then that's a lot of people that we're reaching, you know? So I'm not there yet. I only have one. (laughs) She's wonderful. Um, I hired my first assistant coach back in January. And eventually, yes, I would like to get to the point where I have, you know, a handful of other coaches that work under me. And I am more like the CEO of the business. So yes, I will continue to coach but I'm more overseeing the other coaches, creating the content, doing the marketing, things like that. So as of now, that is the long-term vision. That sounds great. Um, I mean, that is, that is a vision. Some people, they don't know. So that's yeah. certainly great. Mm-hmm. So one of the things let's, as we talk about, again, the podcast about building wealth and also protecting wealth, which gets often pushed to the side because that's not very sexy. Like, the offense puts the fans in the seats, not the defense. So mm-hmm. um, what is your general plan for either building wealth or financial freedom, either inside or outside of the business? Right. Well, I mean, like, I guess inside the business is to, like I said, continue to hire more coaches so that we can bring on more clients, make more money. I mean, that's the like the ultimate goal of bringing money into the business, right? But then I think from a, a long-term perspective, you know, one thing that can be scary about being an entrepreneur, working for yourself, is that like you don't have a 401k, you don't have anything like that to to kind of protect you, so to speak. So it really is all on you. And I was lucky that both my brother and my dad are financial planners, so they do what you do. 
So it was, and it's so funny because like business coaches in the online space talk about your money mindset all the time and, and how that really affects entrepreneurs and people like coaches who are trying to sell their services. Like if their money mindset is not in the right place and they're going to sabotage their business. Just like if a client's mindset is not in the right place, they're going to sabotage their weight loss efforts. So I think I was lucky in the sense that a positive money mindset was instilled in with me or instilled in me from a very young age because I have vivid memories of my dad saying, you got to start saving from a young age. Like, or I wish that I would have started saving earlier because I don't think he became like he and my brother, I don't think became CFPs until they were in their thirties, which they will now say is pretty late in the game to start building wealth, to start like, you know, adding to your retirement or your IRA or whatever it is that, that wealth that will build and accumulate so that when you do retire, now you have, you know, a good nest egg, so to speak. So yes, I do remember that being a topic of conversation very often. And I don't think I started saving until I was about, ooh, 30. I'm 37 now, so that's when I went to my brother and I'm like, okay, let's do this. What do I need to do in order to make this happen? So he set me up with, I'm pretty sure I have a SEP IRA and he has my money and mutual funds. So I make sure that every month before I do anything, I put aside a certain amount of money for my taxes and then also for my retirement. So not once since I have been doing this have I gone to my tax man and not been able to pay my tax bill because I didn't save enough. So I'm very grateful for that because I know I have many friends, colleagues who tax time comes and they're like freaked out. Oh my gosh, how much am I going to owe? And I don't have enough. So I'm going to have to put it on my credit card or figure out where it's going to come from. And I roll in there. I'm like, I'm good. <laughs> you know, I have a pretty general idea. Sometimes I'm like, right on the dot, like, oh, save just enough. <laughs> Sometimes I have a little bit extra, but yeah, I've never, I've never had it be where I have not been able to contribute to my IRA and also pay my taxes at the same time. So I am forever grateful <laughs> for my dad, my brother having that conversation with me and uh, yeah, that being just kind of drilled into my head. For, for the listeners that aren't lucky enough to have family members in the business of finance. Do you have a do they teach you any systems to save? Like do you have a percentage of your revenue or profit or So my you know my brother actually and my dad they don't talk to me about that because I do have an accountant. So he's the one that gives me a general estimate of how much. So far it's been about 20%. So I will say between 20 and 25% and that's been enough thus far. That's for taxes or for your for both actually yeah okay so if i put away 20 25 and like if i have a slower month maybe i'll put away 20 percent. if i have a better month maybe i'll put away 25 percent. but that amount has been enough and the other thing too pat i know you and i have talked about this and the one area where i'm dragging my ass is that i'm <laughs> i'm so embarrassed to say this i'm still not an llc or an S-Corp. So my tax guy has been on me for years. Marcy, you have to set up an S-Corp. You're going to save so much money. And I was like, Brian, I'll do it later. I'll do it later. 
And this last year, because it was my highest revenue year since I started my business, he did the math. He's like, you could have saved $10,000 if you would have done the S-Corp. I was like, oof. Yeah. So, and I still haven't. But that, that's on my goal for the month of May. So for, for the listeners that, that aren't aware, an S-Corp is a tax-saving, well, potentially tax-saving vehicle because it reduces self-employment taxes, potentially. The key component, which I'm curious, what did your accountant give you a ballpark on what your reasonable salary should be? No, he did not. And that was the thing that was really overwhelming to me is figuring out the salary component of it. Like when he said that, it was like, oh, that sounds like too much. <laughs> and I think the other thing that is scary, Pat, is I don't, I don't have a salary. Like I don't I mean, so it's not like my first job out of college, oh, we're going to pay you $30,000. Which, by the way, I thought was so much money at that point. <laughs> I was like, $30,000, are you kidding me? I'm rich. Um, so yeah, it's like, I don't know from month to month how much I'm going to make. So I may have a general idea, oh, okay, I have these recurring payments, so that's going to be the minimum. But you don't know when a client's going to drop off. You don't know when someone else is going to come on. Um, so like, I'll give you an example. Last month, I would say mid-month, like it was looking bleak. And I was like, oh gosh, I'm probably not even gonna make half of what I made the month before. And then right towards the end of the month, things just kind of came together and I ended up you know, doing just as well. So I think that's one thing that I've been a little bit hesitant about is like, okay, if I have this salary, but what if I don't make my salary that month? Does that make sense? It does. I mean, so, for the listeners, like one of the that is one of the downsides of an S corp. So you, the reason that you can save money on an S corp and why a lot of accountants recommend it, is because self employment taxes right now, as we're recording this in twenty twenty one, is fifteen point three percent, and that includes so security and Medicare up to like one hundred forty thousand dollars or so. So if you're able to let's just for argument's sake cut that in half and pay yourself like fifty or seventy thousand dollars, you're saving half of like or that 15% you're saving on whatever you don't pay in salary. I probably said that in a confusing way, but basically you only have to pay that 15% on what your accountant says your salary is. So that's the tax savings, mm -hmm. but with that you become an employee of your own business. So that's what Marcy is referring to. It can be fairly overwhelming because again, like now you have to go out and get a payroll provider. I like personally I like Gusto because um, they make life simple, but you have to pay yourself every month a salary. Now, one thing that you could do, Marcy, is that it's, you don't have to pay it out. So if you have a, let's talk about from the other perspective. If you have like a too good of a year, at the end of the year, your accountant's probably paying you a bonus to, to keep you compliant. Mm. But then conversely, if you're not making enough, then you could start paying yourself less. Because again, it just has to be compliant with yeah. what the IRS thinks you should have as a salary. So like as an example, if you're the CEO of a, and your business is generating, I don't know, just make it a large number, like $10 million, and you have your junior coaches making like $200,000 a year, and then you're sitting there saying, well, my salary should mm -hmm. be grand. The IRS is going to be like, okay, you're the CEO of this business and everyone makes more money than you. Like that's, that would red flag to the IRS. So that's an extreme example, but right, that makes sense. that's... But that's what Mars referring to, like when our accountant's like, you have to pay yourself a salary. Like you're an employee of your own business. That's what that's how an S corp can save you money. Mm -hmm. 
and one day we'll get Marcy to, okay. to do it. That makes sense. And now I have an employee, so I feel like it's even more important for me to do this. Is she, Pat, is she an independent contractor? Oh, she is an independent contractor okay. at this point. Yeah. Okay. You said you had a question? So I need to go have another talk with accountant. Is it too late, though, because it's May to do an escort for the rest of the year? Um, yes and no. So you missed the deadline, which is March 15th, but they have late filings. Okay. So your accountant can still file it. He just needs to do all the paperwork for late filing, and then basically he's asking for the IRS's permission to do it. So the short answer okay. is... So you, what's, your, what's your suggestion? Should I hold off or should I go for it? No, I, should, I think you should do it. Because okay. he's obviously already run the numbers that you can save a lot of money. So financially, he's already green-lighted this as a great idea. It's just putting the paperwork together. And if, if he's done a late election filing before, then it probably takes him 20 minutes. It's, it's okay. pretty simple if, if they've done it before. Um, so fine, Pat, fine. <laughs> then you have more for your retirement and less for your tax bucket. That's true. Well, because I thought that I was only able to put away like $5,000 a year. Now I've heard it's six. When can for, that, when can you increase that amount? For what? I am for my, like my IRA. So for an IRA right now, it's $6,000, but you're a business owner. So you have all the options available to you. Like even like, like large companies do. So like you and I talked about it. Oh. Um, I would talk to your brother about moving you to potentially looking at a solo 401k. Oh, okay. Like I've been right. talking to a lot of my, again, this is in 2021. I've been talking to a lot of my clients about um, Roth 401ks or Roth IRAs if they're making it, depending on their income, because you can't use a Roth IRA depending on your income level. Um, but mm -hmm. because if you look historically where the tax rate is now and where um, they're talking about moving it to, I think we're going to find that 2021, assuming they don't make it retroactive, that 2021's tax bracket is going to be one of the more favorable ones in the near future. So if you're currently in a, a low, lower bracket, or even if you're in a high bracket, all brackets are likely to move, especially high income earners. Like if you watch the news, like the high income earners have a big target on their back. So I would look at strategies now where you just pay the taxes now. Like don't try to trade, hmm. don't try to take tax deductions now and push it into, so that way when you pull it out in retirement, who knows what the tax brackets will be then, but you've already paid. Then again, that's, that's what right. I'm telling a lot of my clients now. Um, everyone listening, talk to your accountant because everyone's different. But, um, and also we have no clue where tax brackets could go. Maybe, maybe they'll go lower, but I personally think that would be amazing and unlikely. <laughs> so, um, but I would, yeah, I, if I were you, I would. Okay. I think, again, like your accountant is already encouraging you to do it. So you just need to do it. So. Yeah, no, I know. Pure laziness on my part. <laughs> well, to be fair, it's, there, there is extra legwork. You know, like doing, doing bookkeeping, right. doing tax filing, everything changes when you're an escort, but it, it adds complexity. It adds payroll costs. Accountants charge more for S-Corps because it's a whole separate business tax return they have to do. Um, so like if, if your accountant was like, oh, I'm going to save you $1,000, then you're probably going to not want to do it because you probably will lose more in business right. costs. But 
obviously he told you 10,000. So most likely that's a, a net savings to you in the business. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but anyone okay. considering have a thorough conversation with your mm-hmm. accountant about it or your financial planner if they know if they have tax expertise, because there's a lot of advantages, but there's a lot of complexity as well. Yes. And I like to keep things as simple as possible, Pat. Your accountant's going to do almost all the work. You just, you just have to pay him. Okay. If he can do all the work, yeah. then that's fine. Tell me where to sign and where to pay. Yeah, that, <laughs> you do everything if else. If he does payroll as well, you literally don't really do much at all. Oh, I don't know if they do. I'm sure they have a service that, because again, it, after you set it up, um, that's the, the heavy lifting, setting it all up. You're in California, so getting you set up with the state, but that's the beginning part. And then it's pretty simple, especially if you're using a company like, one of the reasons I like Gusto is once you're set up, they do everything. Like they'll send all the payments. It's, they automate pretty well. So it's, again, the beginning portion is going to be a little time consuming, but after that, it's not bad. So you, you answered one thing that I was, I was going to ask you, but um, you already answered it because you, I talked to a lot of coaches that they, they make a lot of revenue, but they're mostly just spending it or keeping it in a bank account. So you're fortunate you have the money mindset <clears throat> to, to invest and look for your future as well as you're investing in um, a junior coach in your business, which is great. So we talked about building wealth. Again, the, the less sexy part of building wealth is protecting wealth. Do you have any strategies either in your business or outside of your business to help you protect what you're building? I guess maybe I don't. So tell, give me an example of what protecting my wealth would look like. Maybe I just don't know what that is. Sure. So since you're young and healthy, like most fitness coaches, um, one of the challenges is like disability, like just the complete inability to work. Um, like for right now, your biggest asset is your ability to make income. So having a disability policy is, is one thing. Um, obviously, like depending on, I don't think you are in a situation, but um, like asset protection in terms of if, if you were in, concerned about getting sued, things like that. So the only thing I have is like personal trainer insurance. And that was more for when I was training people in person. Um, so that kind of covered me on that. But no, now that I think about it, I do not have disability or anything like that, which is that's disability really scary. is one I, I personally think is most important. Cause again, like I don't know your history, but like for instance, for me, no one's relying on me financially. So like I have a life insurance policy, but it's just earmarked for my nephew um, or nephews now. But um, the so but I have the disability because, again, like if I'm laying on my couch and I can't work, I do need to keep paying my bills. So um, that's that's one thing that especially for young people is, in my opinion, important. Yeah, I never considered it. No one's ever talked to me about it before. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean it's not always fun because it's just an expense. Like when you sit down with clients and start talking about, okay, here's how you protect your risks. Usually these are like versus one conversations. Like this is how you build wealth. So you take money and you invest it. And this is like, here's adding expenses to your life. So sometimes that's not such a fun conversation, but again, you're transferring the risk to somebody else. Exactly. Yeah. Cause you never know what could happen. And yeah. I think for myself, you know, I do have some chronic health issues. So, 
well, I'm like, you know, healthy right now. I do sometimes wonder, and I had a little bit of a health scare last month where I was like, oh my gosh, like this could be really bad. Like, would it cover something like if you got cancer? The policy, the policies are the full spectrum, but um, that would be more like medical insurance. But yeah, if you're out of work, um, I forget, I forget the list, the the list of disabilities that most commonly affect people are all like silent that, you know, like, it's not like getting hit by a car. It's like, um, I wish I had the, the five memorized. I think one of them is like lower back pain. Um, hmm. I want to say something like with menstrual pain or something like it's, it's things that are like, and Oh, depression's one of them. Like things that are fairly common that it's, again, it's not like you don't see someone in a wheelchair and be like, oh, they're on disability. It's like people that look normal, but they can't work. And so that's why it's like people right. that go on disability or need disability is more common than people think. Um, but That's really interesting. I would have had no idea. I mean, I've heard, I've definitely heard, oh, back pain is the most common cause of people being out of work, things like that. But I don't really ever hear about anyone getting disability insurance to protect from that. Yeah, I don't know how often people talk about it, especially when you work for large companies. Mm -hmm. Usually you just check a box and it's like, okay, $10 out of your paycheck and you're good to go or something. But when you work for yourself, I don't right. think. And the problem is also um, there's a lot of slimy salesmen for all types of insurances. So I feel like a lot of people, when they start having that conversation, they just glaze over because like, okay, another insurance person got another insurance thing to sell me. Yeah, <laughs> So exactly. Um, <laughs> Mm. Well, think about that. Yeah. I mean, your, your brother as a CFP can easily run those numbers for you. Mm -hmm. Okay. I will ask him in your next conversation. So you, you're ahead of the game than a lot of people we talk to. Um, and you are, um, just to circle back to what you said, which I think is helpful. Like when you were 30, you started saving for retirement when I think a lot of people probably put it off way longer than that. Oh, I know some people who or in their 50s and they haven't even started wow. there you know and i wish i would have like i'm kicking myself for not starting when i was 22 when i got my first job well i mean i got a like a, they set me up with a 401k and i got the statement there's like a thousand dollars in there but it's like oh marcy what if you would have started 10 years eight to ten years before you did how much further would you be because i mean just for like the interest of full transparency because i'm an open book I remember the first check that I gave to my brother for my um, for my IRA was thirty five hundred, and then you know I've increased it slightly since then, and that was yeah maybe six or seven years ago, and now I have around fifty thousand in there. So it yeah it grows, you know I know that that will continue to compound yeah. over time. And you got to ride the waves of, <laughs> of the market and all of that. But, um, and I'm grateful that, you know, my dad and my mom were so financially savvy from a young age because now I know that when something happens to them, like they've set me up and I hate to say that, but so it's like for, like, think about your, your family and, you know, your, your children. So do you want to be able to extend your wealth to them one day? And, or another thing that's really scary, if you have not set yourself up for success and you have kids, 
do you want them to be responsible for supporting you when you can no longer work? So it's almost like it can go both ways. Like, oh, I'm doing my children a favor because when I die, now I can leave them with something. But it's also like selfish of me to not invest in my my long-term wealth because if something happens, then do I want to put that financial burden on them? And I've seen that. And it's really unfortunate. Yeah, that's that's stressful. Um, for for people out there that aren't as familiar, long term care um, is probably the, one of the most expensive things you can have. Like, um, I run the number for clients now, and right now a good private facility, and it varies so much by zip code. But you're in Northern California. I would imagine a private long term care facility right now probably runs around a. Oh, I don't know. Would probably between twelve and fifteen thousand dollars per month. I'm guessing. So it's so to give the listeners an idea. My grandfather was in an assisted living facility, and it was a nice one. Like it was, you know, more high end in Southern California. I think he was in there for less than maybe five years. And then my grandmother eventually needed to go to one as well. Hers was a little bit less expensive. But when all was said and done, after they had passed away, it was over a million dollars in long-term how many? Care. How many years was it? About five. Yeah, that's about right. Mm-hmm. So for the listeners, I looked this up. There's a website, Genworth Financial has a phenomenal tool. It's genworth.com, and then it's uh, look up a cost of care survey. And you can put in your zip code. While we were talking, I put in Los Angeles area. Right now, one year for a private facility is $130,000 a year for one person in a top-tier private facility. So the, the challenge that Marcy and I are talking about is the financial burden of being the last few years of your life could be your entire net worth mm-hmm. or worse if you don't have that much and then you're a financial burden mm-hmm. on your kids mm-hmm. or you need to go yeah. to a worse facility. So that is great exactly. that your parents are not going to be a financial burden to you. And well, hopefully no one needs long-term care. That's, but um, that's know. an expensive, yes. that's a, what'd you say? Because all of my, all of my grandparents did. So that they was my, my mom's parents. Yeah, my mom's parents are the ones who were in the nicer facilities. And then with my dad's parents, they chose to bring people into the house. So definitely not, I mean, nowhere near as expensive, but still. And because I think my, my grandparents could not afford more of a long-term facility, you know? Right. Yeah, that's that's the challenge. So. Um, I'm glad we got to bring this up. I didn't think we'd talk about long-term care, but that is something when you're, when you're looking at your own personal, like building wealth and your financial freedom number that people talk about. It's not just like, especially when you hear people that, um, none of my clients, I don't know if any of your friends are part of like that fire movement. (laughs) No, I just watched the documentary on that the other night though. I haven't seen the documentary, but they're they're a challenge from a financial perspective because to live that long on your savings, typically the ones I've seen, they're not accounting for what we just talked about. You know, the last Mm. few years of your life running a 
$800,000 tab, you know, like that could really throw a wrench into things for a lot of people. So, um, mm-hmm. but yeah. So what, of as we wrap things up, what advice would you have for someone just starting, or if you were to start your business all over again, um, going online, what would you do differently? I mean, set the, set this stuff up from day one. Get get a financial planner. Get an accountant. Make sure that you are taking care of your finances, like from the beginning. And it's really unfortunate because I've had so many business coaches and mentors, or been a part of a mastermind, and this does not get talked about at all. It's how can we make more money? How can we get money in your pocket? How can we get you to those ten thousand dollar months, or you know, to leave your full time job? But no one talks about how to protect that money once it's in the bank, or even just like the sabotage that comes from getting it and then spending it right away. You know, not saving for the taxes. Just, I mean, I'm all about investing, so I will always invest in a coach. I think even if I had to put that on a credit card. You know, um, I don't really, I don't think that there's like anything necessarily wrong with spending intelligently or putting yourself into debt intelligently if it's going to ultimately help you in the long run. But don't spend money like a jackass. Just like, oh, I made this money, like I'm gonna go buy a new car right away. And I think people really, they get into that and they don't think about these things. Maybe it's because, it's not taught in school, which is unfortunate. Like we shouldn't be learning geometry and chemistry. We should be learning you know, this kind of stuff. So, or if your parents don't know, like they didn't have that awareness. They didn't start saving until they were really old and they're not having those conversations with their kids. Then of course, someone in this position isn't gonna know what to do. So I think we need to do a better job of spreading the awareness, which I appreciate you were doing this bet. Um, but yes, if someone is listening and they are, whether, whether they're just starting their business or they are five years, 10 years in listening to this and they have not yet set themselves up for financial success, like do it now. It's never too late. I think that's great. Especially in the beginning phase, like what you said, I think to circle back to what you said a little while ago, I meant to bring this up your system of saving for taxes and your retirement. If if no one out there has read the book Profit First, it will teach you a simple way to do exactly what Marcy's doing. You don't have to go out and hire a financial advisor or an accountant, which I think you should have an accountant anyway, but um, as a business owner, you should, you should have an accountant. But um, read the book The Profit First by Mike Michalowicz. It'll teach you what Marcy's doing. Um, like, obviously, her dad and brother know those systems. Yeah, and all I do, I just have a separate business checking account. So... I collect all my money from my various sources, you know, Stripe, PayPal, Venmo, wherever it's coming from. And I just take a certain percentage of that and it immediately goes into that business checking account. And most often I do not touch it. That's perfect. So, I mean, like, unless I know, here's a business expense that I don't want to take out of my checking, checking account or put it on my credit card, then maybe I'll touch that. But very rarely do I ever get into it. So you separate, and it how many, how many well. business accounts do you have? Business bank accounts? I have one business checking account, but I have various ways in which I'm paid. So like some people pay me through Venmo, some through PayPal, some through Stripe, but whatever I am paid through all of those, 
I just add it all up. So let's say it's, you know, $10,000. And then I take a percentage of that and I transfer that money into my business savings account. Got it. Okay. So there's a second account. Yeah. Got it. And then I have my personal checking account for, you know, whatever. Right. So some money goes to the business savings, some goes to your investment accounts that I guess your brother's personal. managing. So there's like this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just, I write him a check at the end of the year. I just do the, okay. the one lump sum at the end of the year. Got yeah. it. Okay. So yeah, that's, that system is very similar to Profit First. If anyone wants to figure out a way in their own business, again, the book I think is $14 or something. So it's a real, a really efficient way. Like I help my clients with it because I love it. I, for my own business, I use Profit First. Um, I've made it much more complex because I'm pretty OCD with money. So I want to track everything, but um, I highly recommend what Mars is doing. I think in my business, I have nine business accounts maybe. I don't recommend people go that crazy, but I like it. So awesome. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it, Marcy. Thank you, Pat. I had such a good time. I appreciate you inviting me on. I am proud of you for taking the leap into the podcasting world. And like I said, it's going to be very valuable for people. So this is good. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us this week on Building Your Wealth Muscle. Make sure you visit our website, darbyba.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. While you're at it, if you found value, we'd appreciate a ratings on iTunes, or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us as well. For more information on the topics covered, you can follow Pat on Instagram, at patdarbybiz. The download from this episode is available in the show notes. And if you want help building your wealth specifically, Pat Darby is currently taking private clients. The link to book a call is also in the show notes. Thank you again for listening and have a great day.